Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick, and pleased to be joined tonight by Ali Woods. Say hello, Ali. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back on, Nick. I thought I might be a uh, one-appearance man, but here we are making my second appearance on United Hour, so the pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Definitely past that kind of one cap stage. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That David Nugent. I've, I've gone from the David Nugent one, 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 one cap, and so now we're into good territory, multiples. Exactly, I like it. exactly. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, regular listeners will remember that Ali joined us a couple of months ago. You were just actually heading off to Barcelona, oh, and yeah. I remember you were promoting the kind of comedy gig you were going to be doing out there, and you were going to be going to the match. Um, and you know, it ended up being one of our highlights of the season, I guess. I mean, wow. yeah. Well, I mean, that's like, that seems like a lifetime ago now. It seems like a different team I'm watching now, even though, well, yeah, what would that have been like three months ago? Um, yeah, that was a cracking game too. all. Uh, and uh, Camp Nou, it's not often you see, you go to Camp Nou and see your team sort of, you know, for large periods of the game, sort of outplay Barcelona, which was, and it's not a terrible Barcelona team either. I mean, they're flying high in La Liga. So yeah, it was a wicked experience. Um, unfortunately, more recently, I went away to Seville and got to witness the 3 0 uh, loss at the Estadio de Dragao, whatever it's called. Uh, it was not fun. Yeah, it's all right. You've had the rough with the smooth. But yeah, yeah that Barcelona, yeah, it was mid February, it was mm-hmm. uh, when we were rolling on well. Yeah, I mean, we, we said this at the time we went through them. It's crazy that we, we beat Barcelona, who were top of La Liga champions. We beat Real Betis, who were like fifth, sixth at the time. And we go out to Sevilla, who were 12th mid kind of table. Mm-hmm. But Sevilla do have some kind of bizarre hoodoo in this tournament. I saw oh, them, you know, doing course. well against Juventus the other day. They definitely sold the solar Sevilla to the Europa League gods at some point in the past few years uh so yeah it's their destiny i think they might have set it up i'm pretty sure they severe set up the europa league i'm not sure who did it i don't think uefa know it's happening but they've set it up to win it every year so that's uh yeah it's unfortunate we just ran out of spanish teams to play for some reason we had to play every single spanish team in the europa league before yeah. we allowed, and we eventually got knocked out by seville but uh yeah oh well mo- moving on i guess well, that was the killer. I mean, look, on this show, we are going to talk about the recent form. We did not manage to record last week. So it's actually been three matches since we last recorded. Uh, a good win against Wolves, two bad losses on the road to Brighton and West Ham. I was at that Brighton game away, uh, which was an absolute killer. Latest goal ever conceded in the Premier League uh, to be there made it even worse, you know, kind of ruined what was a great kind of day out in Brighton that day. Uh, so, yeah, we will talk about those matches. We will all also have a good focus on what's going on with the women's team. Both of us were at Wembley yesterday for the Women's FA Cup final and the Women's Super League is coming to a bid kind of end with some massive doubleheader next weekend. And then we'll probably round off with a few bits and bobs about the ownership, which is still dragging on every week. We hope for kind of like big breaking news coming, but it's still kind of going over there. Um, but look, let's start with what's going on with the men's team. Uh, as I said, there has been three matches since we last recorded. Uh, the Wolves game was the most recent on Saturday. We are recording this on Monday night. Uh, so, you know, the big chat is still the kind of top four race. We are as we're recording, Liverpool are winning. I just saw they've gone up to 3-0. So, yeah, they will come back to kind of one point right behind us. We do have that, that game in hand. So it has been a kind of running chat on our pod here for the last few weeks. It all started, you know, we when we were beating Tottenham 
mm. and it ended up 2-2. And then a couple of our guys, specifically Imran and Jamie, started getting very worried about Liverpool's form, that we were starting to look tired. We're saying, oh my God, the worst case is coming to happen. Uh, I particularly have said, look, I'm chilled about this. We've got enough of a gap. We're going to be okay. Then, you know, we've had a mixed bag of results since then. And it's basically been, yeah, our home form is good. We beat Aston Villa. We've beaten Wolves. Our away form is awful. And, you know, these two losses in a week, West Ham and Brighton, really got people, like, questioning again. I mean, have you been kind of worried about this? Or do you think we're good enough and like, feel quite chilled about where we're finishing in top four? Well, I will say uh, two, two states of mind, either side of the Wolves game, right? Liverpool are just infuriating. They won't go away. And yeah, I think they're literally going to win their last nine games on the bounce, which I don't think anyone saw coming considering how rubbish they've been this season. Um, So yeah, when we lost, I was at the West Ham game as well. And when we lost that game, I will say with the Brighton and West Ham results, I don't think we deserve no points from either of those games. I thought Brighton looked very good in midfield as they normally do, but didn't create loads. I think we had the better chances in that game. West Ham is individual errors. So I think that was a bit reassuring in terms of hoping top four in that. It wasn't like we were turning up at these teams and getting played off the pitch and De Gea was making seven saves and we were just lucky to get beat 1-0. It was actually that they looked leggy. We just wasn't, weren't getting like the rub of the green in terms of the ball, ball bounces. Some refereeing decisions potentially could have come into play. I mean, that's all, that's all sy- systemic when you're an okay team. You know that when you're an okay team, you care more about the rubber, the green, and the referee. When you're a great team, you think City are sitting here talking about, oh, have the ref made more decisions. No, they just go and smash teams. So I was sort of had that hope that you know our home form is different going into that Wolves game. I was just hoping, and then in the first sort of 20 minutes when we just still looked so leggy, I thought, oh God, maybe this is just it. And with Rashford out for that game, but now we're being Wolves, and Wolves look like they're on the beach. We've got two other, sorry, three other games exactly the type of opposition you want to play at this time. Yeah. Mid-table dross, you know, yeah. these mid-table teams that don't really have any things to play for, you know, like your, yeah, your, uh, your Bournemouths, your, your Chelsea's, you know, this just mid-table rubbish teams like that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we should be okay. I think, I mean, if we go to Bournemouth and lose, which could happen because they're finally away from home, they stop knowing how to play. Then the concern comes right back. But, you you take you take at this point. I said to my friends, like you take it at this point. You'd be one point ahead of Liverpool with three with a game in hand and only three games of the season left. Playing two of those games at home, not playing anyone in the top half of the table. I mean, come on, we should. If we lose it from here, then we don't deserve it. We're getting. We're now. It's the first time we had a week break between a game. Not even a yeah. week, six days since September. So. They should start to be coming back. And, and to be honest, the Wolves game again, we should have won that three or four nil. Um, so I, I was a bit encouraged by that. I don't expect Bournemouth and I don't expect Fulham are going to be too up for it. I imagine they'll start rotating players and just having a good time. Chelsea are a wild card because they've got the quality of players that could damage us. And I do expect Liverpool to obviously smash Southampton. But I also think Villa have still got a lot to play for. Their next game, it'll be at Anfield, but... You know, I could see Emery doing a nice defensive job on them, counter-attacking job with them. That's not that's not the type of team you want to be playing at this time of the season. Team with lots to play for. They've just beaten Spurs. They'll be going into that game with confidence, with a strategy. So hoping maybe they'll take a couple of points off Liverpool. So now we've beaten Wolves. I think it's comfortable. I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, and as I said, I felt pretty okay. I thought our home form would see us over the line, even though our away form is wobbly. As I said, you were at West Ham, I was at Brighton. They are killer defeats. But yeah, I thought, you know, we deserve to beat Brighton. Uh, It's just been our finishing, which has been a problem. You know, if Rashford isn't scoring, then who is scoring is our big issue. And yeah, if you look at things like the XG expected goals, uh, you know, if you take away Brighton's last minute penalty, then basically it was an even game. So we deserved a point there. Uh, West Ham, again, we started better. We had a lot of chances in the early part. And then, yeah, an absolute awful mistake from David De Gea just puts us behind, puts everybody on the back foot. You see that bit of nervousness creep in gives all the kind of confidence to West Ham. And that was the only disappointment in that West Ham game was that after we did went one down, we didn't really see enough 
of a comeback. You know, you can have those kind of uh, mess ups, but you want to see a bit more from the team to come back into it. And yeah, on on that day, the XG at 1.8 for West Ham, 1.1 for us shows that they did actually deserve the win. So it was more disappointing than even that Brighton one. But as you say, I did think it's that accumulation of games, tired legs, a few injuries. Now that we had had a week off, we managed to beat Wolves with relative ease, not even really getting out of top gear. Uh, you know, XG for the Wolves game puts us at 3.1 and them at like 0.2 or something. So, yeah, mm. should have been even easier than that. Um, but, yeah, without Rashford to get those goals, to get that win, does give you a bit of confidence for going into this last run. Because, yeah, we're not sure at the moment how long he's going to be out for. And that is the only slight worry on it. Um, it was great to get Varane back in the team. He's definitely somebody we've missed. And if we can get, you know, him fully fit for that kind of cup final, it's going to make the big difference over there. So we've got a couple of weeks and yeah, get Rashford back in. You know, that's been the main kind of worries for me in this little run has been as soon as we lost Martinez, as soon as he lost Varane, you start having to play Luke Shaw centre-back. Malassia comes in and he does a decent job, but it's a big kind of step down from Luke Shaw playing left-back. So yeah, to get Shaw back in his good position, Varane in there, you know, you see a bit stronger in that Wolves game over there. And hopefully, as I say, we now have a week off to that Bournemouth game. And let's try and break that away hoodoo and get back on it. Um, I mean, there has actually been the point being made that our away form, apart from playing the best teams, is not that awful. I think we're about fifth or sixth in the away table overall this season. So we have picked up quite a few away points against the kind of bottom half. Mm. It's only been against the kind of top teams where we've really struggled. Uh, so yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. It'll, be, hopefully it'll be like that Forest game where we sort of went into that a little bit, not in the best form. We just sort of comfortably beat them 2-0, should have been more really. Hopefully it'll be more like that. I mean, they, do, they are capable, this team. And we've seen with Ten Hag, he's able to get them often going at times when we might be a bit more under pressure. I mean, in those big games where we've lost, you know, Liverpool, City, Sevilla, they seem like they completely lose their heads and there's no reason to completely lose your head against someone like Bournemouth. Um, and now also, I remember saying to my friend about injuries at one point in the season, he's like, oh, we got Garnacho out. And he was like, oh yeah, Garnacho, he makes a big difference, doesn't he? But he does. Like having a player like that come off the bench who is electric, gets the, gets the crowd going, is direct, has the skill, the quality to run at tired legs. It's huge. I mean, he's come on and been brilliant a number of times this season. He's got the most goals and assists out of any sub in the Premier League. So I think that, again, as we saw at Wolves, just adds to our uh, getting stronger at the end of games because what we were seeing against Brighton and West Ham was in the last 20 minute, minutes, we were nowhere. We were just trying to hoof the ball up, trying to get rid of it. No one wanted it. No one was making runs. So I think having him back as well was a huge boost. And yeah, as you say, Varane coming back to play centre, I thought he was okay against Wolves. I thought he was great in the air and his positioning was good, but I think he did a couple of weird stuff. He gave away a couple of weird corners and stuff. But I think he's just coming back in. Well, that's it. A but, little bit rusty. Yeah, you hope. Yeah. And that's it. He's got a couple of weeks now as we're getting towards that cup final to hit full fitness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can have a bit of a chat about that later. But yeah, I'm hoping if we can get him and players like that, then can give us a big chance in that cup final. Mm. Um, and sure, moving no. to left back just helps us progress the ball so much better. Like, as you said, Malassia, even Dalloway is playing there. They deputise OK, but... Shaw's so good at bringing, the, bringing that ball up, getting those passes in, in into the forwards. I mean, that dinks cross he does for Anthony, which is just a, a header out from four yards that he completely balloons over. You're just not going to get that from Malassia at left back. So that attacking option is great as well. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, Shaw's done a good job filling in at centre-back, but you definitely miss him on that left side. Uh, and I absolutely agree with you. Garnacho is a big player to have him coming back is a big boost for the end of this season as well. Uh, he is that perfect impact sub. It's what we often miss. You know, often we're bringing in Sancho, Weghorst from the bench, and you're like, mm, mm. are they really going to be the ones who are going to make the difference? Uh, whereas, you know, Garnacho again and again is making that difference late in games. And also, yeah, giving a good option on the left side if somebody like Rashford is out. Mm. Brilliant. We said on the last show that he's signed a new contract. I mean, he looks like an absolute star to me. Uh, not sure about his haircuts. Maybe he needs to sort that out. Uh, <laughs> sort his teeth he... out, though. He's got a nice, not, nice set of chompers now. He got, yeah, he got that yeah, yeah. There. He's definitely spent his new contract money on some dental yeah. work. <laughs> he's just looking yeah. at the Ronaldo framework and gone, right, what did he have? He had bleached blonde, sort of fluffy hair at the top. He got his teeth done. He's on that on that progression. So I, I, respect, I respect the game in that way. Um, but yeah, our forwards in general, though, need to have a look at themselves. I mean, like... 
honestly, the last few games, just so many of them adding nothing, adding nothing. They're not, they're not scoring. They're not even shooting. They're not taking on players. They're not holding the ball up. They're not pressing. And you just think, what are you doing? I mean, Rashford's up there trying on his own. Anthony, to be fair to him, he tries, he works hard, but he he, he struggles with having, providing the correct quality in the final third. But players like Sancho and Martial, I mean, I know Martial got the goal from a sort of tap-in that was on a play for him, but these are top the players we know are capable of top performances, but they just don't seem to add anything. I mean, against West Ham, just to watch them all sort of like jogging around. and Oh, it was so, it's so annoying. It's so irritating. Well, yeah, I think it was that West Ham game where I think Veghorst started that one, didn't he? And Martial came off 10, the bench. And Bruno Fernandes at left wing. Yeah, oh. which I never like to see. I think, we, like I said, Ten Hag's done a brilliant job this season. We're really happy with him. Uh, but there has been a few decisions lately where there is a few question marks. Um, you know, sometimes Rashford is playing out of position. Bruno's playing out of position. And you're like, look, let's get Rashford back on the left. Let's get Bruno back at mm. number 10. And even though Martial has not been in the best of form, for me, he has to start over Veghorst every time. Um, even like, you know, a 75% Martial is offering more than Veghorst most mm. of the time. Um, but apart from maybe in that West Ham game where he came on and did very little, unfortunately. But yeah, he did show in this game that he can get that goal. He did even have one run, Martial, in that West Ham game. I remember where he shows what he can do. He went past a couple of players. It was Mm -hmm. the one kind of chance that we could have got back into it where, you know, he didn't do a lot, but just showed that something where, you know, you're never really going to get that from Veghorst. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, to be fair to Veghorst, when he came on, he did actually make a great ball uh, that ended up, coming into the the goal that we scored late on over there. So, yeah, there is can still contribute himself. But, yeah, our forwards is the problem. We've said on this podcast time and time again, it's the number one issue for us is up front. Uh, we know, obviously, Ronaldo left. Martial's only half fit. Thankfully, Rashford has massively stepped up this season and made oh. up for it. But, you know, it's going to be top of our kind of transfer list is going to be the forward position for sure. Well, did uh, you see... Did maybe you see, not even one. Yeah, did you see that list of the expected goals, two goals scored of all the teams so far in the season. And yeah. first you got Arsenal and second City. And we're 16th. So that Wolves game was actually 16th versus 17th in terms of how potent their forward line is. That's why it was, wasn't the best attacking display to watch. But we're, we're so far behind. I mean, you see Spurs up there at third. And you think so much of that is down to Harry Kane. And it is sort of yeah. tempting to think, well, if you put his him in, in our team, then how much better he'd make us. But you never know. I suppose that's for uh, the transfer market to decide. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, the XG, obviously, our expected goals is much higher. I mean, for, on Anthony specifically, I had been looking at his numbers. So he's at eight goals, three assists for us. If you look at his specific kind of expected goals and assists, he should be more like hitting 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even more like around 20 for a player like that, the amount of chances he's had, the amount of kind of opportunities he's had to on assist side, he should be hitting 20 kind of goals and assists for a season. Uh, I mean, I think he's had an okay season. There's obviously a higher expectation on him because of the amount of money he's cost. I think, I think we can all admit he was not worth that much. And he's probably like a kind of 40, 50 million pound player that we've ended up paying more like 80, 90 million for, but hopefully next season he can push on, you know, for players coming in from the Dutch leagues you can't assess them straight off on that one first kind of year over there and hopefully he can make a forward Mm. move on from it next season Mm. Uh, he does at least give you that hard work on the right side always battling he's that right kind of character it's just sometimes his decision making is off Uh, he's often taking shots when maybe the pass would be better and not always the right quality I mean yeah like in this Wolves game he should have had a couple of goals early on that would have sealed it all for us I mean he did eventually get the assist for Martial to see us starting this game so yeah it's not totally awful but yeah he's just not really hitting enough for the amount of chances he's getting yeah Anthony is the uh, infuriating nanny type player because you know you know he has something about him you know he has quality like the way he receives the ball the way he can dribble the way he can let off a shot sometimes some of the goals he scored against City Real Batiste they're absolute bangers you know but and that's why it's annoying when he's like someone like Vekos is not annoying because he's just sort of useless he's just not up to the standard you know he's doing as well as he can he's trying he bless him he's trying to move those tree trunk legs as quick as he bloody can but Someone like Anthony is is infuriating. You sort of hope he kicks on next year. I think, yeah, that we'll we'll see. I think what the good thing about Anthony you can say is that 
we definitely become worse when he comes off the pitch. And that has happened across a lot of games. You know, when he comes off, the balance of the team loses. He can play that right side. He can play Ten Hag's system well. He puts in a lot of work. And look, the transfer fee is not his fault, but transfer fee or whatever, if you're playing starting every week as a winger for Man United, you need to be hitting double figures, goals and assists. You just need to. You can't be there tracking back your left back. You need to be absolutely potent in the final third. And we look at the sort of players that you need to compete with in that sort of Liverpool side. The City side, they have a varying changes. They've spent so much money, got so many players. But that Liverpool side that was almost all conquering, Salah, Mane and Firmino, they all did it all, really. You know, they all they all pressed off the ball. They all created chances. They all scored chances. And you look at our front line, it's only really Rashford that's at that level now. So Anthony needs to step up. You hope he can. Ahmad, you maybe think, might come back and maybe start challenging mm. him for that position. And then you hope we can get in a new striker who is of that quality. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And yeah, we will talk on future pods about the transfer window and who might come in. Uh, we will take a quick break there, come back and talk about what's going on with the women's team. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Back for part two off the podcast. So, yeah, look, as we said, the men's team did get back on track with three points against Wolves. We're now one point ahead of Liverpool with a game in hand. And, yeah, me and I think Ali, we're relatively confident about our top four hopes. We didn't manage to get Jamie or Imran on this podcast. They may join us next week and we'll see where we're at then. Uh, yeah, when we had another 1-0 like... loss to Bournemouth with Billings just <laughs> side-footed in, then, uh, then <laughs> they might be back. Well, I will say, I mean, you said over there, nobody would have predicted Liverpool go on this run. But actually, I know that Imran said Liverpool are going to win all the rest of their games about four games ago. So he had kind of said this and he said, oh, it's going to go to the last week of the season. But uh, I think even he thinks that we will do just about enough. But it's just kind of that worrying uh, thing that itches away at you every kind of game going there. But yeah, look, let's look at what's going on with Manchester United women who look of having a historic season. Uh, definitely the best season they've had in their history, short history. We're only in kind of year five of Man United women. I mean, yeah, I and you were both at Wembley yesterday for the Women's Cup final. Um, a great day, like for historic day for women's football again, a full Wembley for a women's match. I mean, I know a friend of mine went to the Women's Cup final, I think he said about three or four years, just before COVID. And he said it was kind of about a third full. There was maybe like 25, 30,000 people there. They didn't even open the whole stadium. Whereas, yeah, this was a complete sellout. Um, I had tickets more in the kind of neutral actual area. Uh, You said you were in the United area. Yeah, the United end, the designated women's football Stretford end of London. I was there. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was my third women's football game I've been to. Um, first was ages ago in the uh, in the 2012 Olympics. And the other one last year, I, might have to- I told you just before we started, but my partner is a Chelsea fan, yeah. um, unfortunately, <laughs> even though she's Irish, which is, is it's rich coming from me at Cockney Reds. But you got the point of being a football fan is, is to be shameless, right? Um, so we went to Chelsea women's, Man United women's last year. And that was the title decider where Chelsea needed to win to make sure Arsenal didn't win the title. I mean, United were going to finish fourth. So it was nice to see a direct comparison a year on. And there were similarities in a way because in that game, the first game a year ago, United went 2-1 up. They were playing some nice stuff in the first half. Second half, Chelsea just came rushing on and brought on subs and ended up winning the game 4-2. And 
it was similar this time around, but I think a lot closer. I think you've got to say, I was not expecting the quality with which United women would be passing the ball around against that Chelsea team. You know, this is a Chelsea team that are up for there for one of the best teams in the world, let alone the you know, domestically. And I feel we just completely outplayed them in the first half. Brilliant flowing football, playing out the back. The centre-backs were brilliant. And it was, you know, they've been obviously watching the men's because the strikers just couldn't provide that final bit of quality. <laughs> Should have had Martial playing, but Vegas would have fit in well. But they, they, they just couldn't do it. And the problem is when you're playing these sides... I mean, you know, Chelsea could bring on players like, um, what's her name? Pan- Panilla Har- Harder? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Harder, Harder. Harder, yeah. sorry. Um, I was thinking of the ice cream there. Sorry, I'm just hungry. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue is that we just didn't have those types of players to bring off the bench. And, you know, it, the, the goal itself was, I mean, it was real quality in terms of its finishing, but it's a shame to sort of lose the ball in, in midfield like that and and to make it quite easy at the end. But we just didn't have enough, unfortunately. But it was, it was great to see... Um, yeah, I was I was really, really impressed with how well they played. I thought it was going to be one where we were sort of looking to try and nick something, sit back and try and counter on Chelsea, but completely took the game to them. It's just unfortunate because it just feels like an inferiority thing, you know? And similar to I was at the Newcastle and Man United uh, Carabao Cup, and I'm sure that's maybe how Newcastle fans felt. They felt that they did well on the ball and all that. I don't think they created near, nearly as many chances as the United women did against Chelsea yesterday. But... Ultimately, this Chelsea team, they've been there, done that. And it's no shame to sort of lose 1-0 with Sam Kerr, who's going to probably go down as one of the best ever women's uh, players to, you know, to get a goal and, and take down. Hopefully they learn from it. Hopefully they can hold on to quite a few of their top players. But yeah, I was very impressed. I don't know what you thought, Nick, but I was very impressed. Yeah, I enjoyed the day. I took my daughter, who's just kind of been getting into football. Uh, she's been to about four or five live matches now. Uh, this was actually, unfortunately, a harsh reality lesson for her because every time she's been before, either been watching Manchester United or England Lionesses, we have won. It was the first time she'd ever seen her team lose. And I think she hadn't really realised that was an option mm-hmm. until yesterday, unfortunately. So there was quite a few tears when first the Chelsea goal went in and at the full-time whistle. Uh, but yeah, I think now she'll still say she enjoyed the day. and it was a great day out. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of... I think there's a kind of family atmosphere at these games. Of course, it's very different to going to like the men's games. Instead, you were at Wembley for that Newcastle game, uh, final as I was as well. And uh, it's a different atmosphere. But yeah, it's a lot of people bringing children there bringing introducing them to there but yeah I think the level of football is better as well than people give credit for Mm -hmm. Uh, you know there's still a lot of kind of comments and criticism of women's football this season it's come on massively you know being showed on the BBC obviously the Lionesses won last summer so there's been a lot more interest and yeah personally I think it's great to see Um, I totally agree with you on the comments in general about kind of Chelsea they are the kind of women's juggernaut you know they've won several titles this is their third FA Cup in a row and Sam Kerr has scored at Wembley in the FA Cup final three years in a row she's the kind of women's player of the year decent decent return that isn't it yeah yeah Uh, you know she's that kind of annoying player so she was given like player of the match I don't don't think she did a lot apart from scoring that goal it's classic Uh, uh, classic um, results punditry there someone who's looked over who scored Sam Kerr what brilliant player like you see them do it all the time pundits on TV where a team can be really bad and then sneak a 1-0 win and they can just go, yeah, but they were just resolute. They just uh, grinded it out and it's a sign of a good team when they're, and it's like, no, they, they, they were lucky. You're allowed to go. And it's the same with Sam Kerr. Like, I'm not sure who would have got player of the match because, you know, it was a quite tightly contested, but I'm sure there were better Chelsea players, maybe in defence or even the keeper made some, made a couple of cracking saves. Yeah. Put, her, put herself on the line at the end there when there was a big scramble just six yards out. Um and uh, so, yeah, they could have got it. But yes, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure why she got it. But uh, it's just pundits having a quick look at BBC Sport Football and just going, yeah, Sam Kerr, player of the match. Well done. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, look, she is an outstanding finisher and that's it. She will punish you. We had more chances, as you say. I'd say that, yeah, we had definitely the better of the first half. We started very well. 
there was that early goal that was chalked oh, off mate. that oh Brutal. you know one of those horrible ones you celebrate you think yeah. you've done great and all of a sudden VAR chalks it off uh, mm. I mean yeah I think it was the correct decision unfortunately Ella Toon was kind of offside before she passes it in to Leah Galton who put it away but yeah there was a couple of other chances Galton had as well could have scored fortunately not again the XG was actually in our favour 1.7 for Manchester United versus 1.1 for Chelsea but they are that team who just like you say, they are a much better organised team. They will kill you on any of those mistakes. They will happily sit back, soak it up and just try and hit you. And they've done mm. it to us before. They have that experience. Their manager as well, Emma Hayes, has won several of these. I think she has that bit more kind of tactical now than maybe our manager, uh, Skinner, Mark Skinner, who's just kind of the first time he's in these kind of positions. Mm. Um, they've made a couple of subs. Like you said, when Harder came on, that kind of changed that game for them in that second half. You could see they had a couple of chances just before scoring as as well you felt that goal was kind of coming whereas i i don't think our changes that came on really helped us that much or made that much difference there was a bit of hard work from a couple of the subs but yeah you were looking for maybe the likes of the big names Ella Toon, uh alicia russo to maybe step up a bit and do something there wasn't quite enough from them uh you know they mm. were the ones who've done it for england lionesses and won things before at wembley and i was hoping to see a bit more from both of them and it, it wasn't really quite enough but you say it's a brilliant experience First time ever our women have reached Wembley. First kind of domestic cup final for all of them and a lot of players playing in a big match like that for the first time. So hopefully they can learn from it, go on to bigger things next season. Um, There is massive games coming up in the Women's Super League uh, next weekend. Uh, Chelsea have a game in hand that they're playing on Wednesday night against West Ham. Uh, Don't hold much hope of West Ham getting anything there. If there was a shock, it would be brilliant. But... The one chance is next weekend. Chelsea are playing Arsenal and it's the Manchester derby, Man United versus Man City, both on Sunday. It's essentially going to be the day where the Women's Super League is probably decided. At the moment, we, Manchester United women, are top of the league. But yeah, if Chelsea get those points midweek, they will go top. And if they see out these last couple of games. But yeah, Arsenal are our hope. Oh man, oh. That, that that sentence never goes well. That sentence never goes well, Nick. <laughs> yeah, Arsenal are our hope. Yeah, you know what? I in the brief times, you know, when you've ever needed Arsenal to get a result, the brief times when I've been an Arsenal fan and had to watch an Arsenal game, like trying to see them beat City or Chelsea or whoever, and it's the hor- worst horrible experience as well. Because the problem with Arsenal as well is that they do give you that hope. They do give you that hope. So Arsenal women, don't be like the men's. Don't watch the men's at all. Be yourselves. We know you can do it. Believe in yourself, right? <laughs> don't don't make any TikToks. Don't start talking about anything. Just go and win the game and do as a solid. Thank you, Arsenal women, in advance. And they absolutely can do it. They beat Chelsea in the League Cup final this year. And Arsenal traditionally are one of the big women's teams yeah, as well. Third, yeah. And they're fighting for their Champions League place. I mean... We've never been in the Champions League before. We're nearly guaranteed. We're actually mathematically not, but it would take mm. Manchester City. I think they have to beat us something like 7-0 on Sunday to get a kind of goal difference Don't say 7-0 to me, Nick. Don't oh, say yeah. Let's say, yeah, 6 That scoreline has and never ha- will happen to a United team. Well, that's that's why I say somebody said it's impossible. And I just said, well, I don't want to yeah. say it's impossible until we're actually through that game. Mm. Um, but yeah, we are playing at home. So, yeah, you would hope we don't have any kind of capitulation like that. So we're virtually sealed. And it would be Man United women's first kind of uh, foray into European football. Uh, Three teams go in from there. And, yeah, one of the teams will be Arsenal or Manchester City. Looks at the moment like Manchester City, if the results go the way everybody's expecting, will miss out. Uh, So, yeah, it would be big for us to pip them to that. But, yeah big things going on and I say whatever happens it will be the best season ever for Manchester United women shame that we couldn't get that bit of silverware to really seal it but yeah a lot of experience hopefully they can push on from there it will be a big big summer um, there's big players whose contracts are coming to the end and we'll have to see what happens with them. Mm. Alicia Russo, Mary Earps, Anya Bajia, uh, big contracts coming up and we have to see mm. what happens there. Yeah, you have to hope that get, getting Champions League football and, you know, maybe more investment with a new owner, potentially. I mean, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. But it will be interesting to see what the strategy is with that, considering they seem to have won so many of the hearts and minds of United men's fans. Um, so hopefully they ride that wave and they think, right, this is the time for more investment instead of thinking, well, just do it again. You know what I mean? On the tight budget, because when the Glazers came in, they folded the women's team. So 
yeah hopefully whoever comes in won't won't feel the same yeah and in fact yeah it was quite ironic that uh avram glazer showed up at wembley yesterday for this match yeah. no shame no shame whatsoever he honestly i said to he's like a parasite in its truest sense he doesn't care about human reaction he doesn't face him it's just it, it, oh terrible terrible but yeah i mean he uh I liked it at least when United won and the players all got the chance to ignore him. That was quite nice. Um, but yeah, he is parasitic. So uh, I don't think he understands. I think if he saw a baby crying, he wouldn't understand what that was. He just sort of walked past and think that was a weird noise emitted there. He don't care about protests, doesn't care about... You see the clip of him walking off and people are like, when are we going to sell the club? He doesn't even register it. I think he's just interested in the money and soon he's gone the better. Yeah. And I mean, look, maybe that is a good point for us, a quick kind of touch on ownership issues. There still hasn't been any big kind of breakthrough. The papers are constantly coming out with their stories. But I see this a bit like the kind of transfer rumour mill that one paper is saying Sheikh Jassim is in pole position. Two other papers are breaking that Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe are moving forward. Really, we have no idea what's going on. And it looks pretty clear that neither do the media. Uh, you know, everybody's feeding stories from one side or the other. We're still waiting to see what happens. Um, but I don't know. Do you have a kind of preference? These seem to be the two big kind of options for us. Um, Sheikh Jassim, the kind of Qatari bid, or Sir Jim Ratcliffe seems to be the way it's going. Um, I don't know. We've had a kind of couple of debates on this ourselves on this show. I've said myself that the kind of doesn't seem like any great option, unfortunately. We're just looking at a lot of like what is the lesser of the evils? You know, everybody wants rid of the glazers, but, you know, there's issues with all these bids, whether it's sports washing, whether it's green washing, whether it's looking at, you know, conflicts with Nice or what's happening with PSG, human rights issues. There's all sorts going on there. But, um, I mean, I don't know if you have a particular one that you'd prefer to see going forward in these bids. Yeah, it's not it's not fun choosing which uh, billionaire will, co- will own your club because there's no, there's no lovely great billionaires, are there? So... Yeah, I mean, I'm quite firm on this. I don't want to be owned by a state. I don't want a sort of, um, especially one, you know, that's obviously humans, human rights abusing. We use it as a sports washing project. I think that is what it's there for. It's there, you know, for any for any owner of a football club, it's a trophy asset. It's used diplomatically in, in terms of their own profile. For some, it's, you know, a you know, dick-waving competition. They just want to be seen to own the biggest, most successful football club. I that, that because I don't want Qatar, it means I want Ratcliffe. That's the option because I, I agree with you. I think there's only two options now. I don't think any sort of Elliot group and and sort of that seems those rumors seem to have faded. There seems to be a lot less noise around that. So I think yeah, any Austin Ratcliffe obviously comes with its own baggage, and I agree with you in terms of the pollution and the uh, that the company does. I just think if you have him, then the soul of Man United retains. And that is what's important to me as a fan, as a season ticket holder. Whereas, as much as it is lovely to envisage this half a billion pound transfer budget and Mbappe playing on the left and, you know, Messi playing on the right and you've got Messi, they give him some 10-year reducer age serum so he comes back to be prime or whatever it is they have going on. Well, you know, it. I just... It just doesn't matter to me as much because it will mean that Manchester United Club is a sports washing project. It's used, it's a club that's used politically to gain weight and gain favour for Qatar with the West. Qatar, uh, a country that obviously has a lot of uh, uh, views in terms of how it's run, I don't agree with. And I wouldn't want it to be run owned by any country, really. I wouldn't want Man United to be owned by Britain. I wouldn't want it to be owned by America. Um, I'd rather just have a sort of uh, a polluting um, <laughs> sort of maybe maybe dubious on why I had a Chelsea season ticket and yeah, dual ownership yeah. um, than uh, that I would rather that be the case if those are the two options that I have. So I'm quite staunchly in Ratcliffe's favour. And I will say to sort of the anti-Ratcliffe um, people who are like, uh, you know, we want a full sale. I agree with that. I'd rather the Glazers wouldn't be involved. I'm not sure that's going to happen with Ratcliffe, but owning 20% and not having any say over how the club is run will have to make my peace with that. Um, but then also the ones talking about how Sheikh Jassim is a Man United fan. Has anyone seen Sheikh Jassim? Has anyone seen this person? Has anyone seen a video of him? 
Yeah, he, look, he is a very kind of private individual. I have actually seen pictures, apparently, of him at Old Trafford. Um, <laughs> whether it's We're him or about not. this guy, people are like, he's a Man United fan. Who is he? I love that the best rhetoric is the people who are like, he's a bank manager who also has six and a half billion pounds to spend. Well, yeah, I, think- I actually had done quite a lot of research to try and find out who exactly the, who these guys are. So, Sheikh Jassim, his father was the ex-prime minister of Qatar. Yes. He's been in pretty high up positions in various banks, Credit Suisse. Even at the age of 20-something, he was on the board of like Credit Suisse. He's now part of the Qatar Investment Bank and things like that. And obviously, is very involved in financials along the way. I think it's pretty clear that the money must be coming from his father and investments they've made over time as a kind of family office. Um, he himself, he didn't even show up actually at Old Trafford when there was kind of meetings over there, whereas at least Sir Jim Ratcliffe did. Uh, apparently, yeah, we hear he is a Man United fan. I have actually been told, and it was written as well in The Athletic, though, that even going all the way back to as far as like 2010, do you remember we had this kind of, there was the whole green and gold, there was this hope for like a Red Knights kind of fan-friendly takeover. And I have heard as well from a couple of people I know around the club that he was even around at that time. So has actually was involved in talks of being part of the Red Knights group going all the way back to 2010. So I would say that actually they probably he does actually probably have some kind of connection and probably was a fan from back there. Um, he went to school in England. He's kind of educated in the UK. So it's not that surprising. But we don't know that much about him. Obviously, Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a much bigger kind of personality. A lot is known about him, although he also is kind of more on the kind of private side and doesn't make that much kind of comments, apart from when he came out talking about Chelsea and split loyalties and that kind of thing. But we do know that he is a kind of Manchester lad, did support the club when he was younger. Um, the only other question, Mark, I will say that there has been quite a lot of debate. I mean, this podcast is connected to redcafe.net where there's lots of chat about this. That whether is this actually a state bid or not? I mean, it could well be. Officially, they say it's not. They say this is private kind of family money and it's not linked to the state. They might want to hide that because otherwise this starts becoming conflicts with the ownership of Paris Saint-Germain. But at the same time, Sir Jim Ratcliffe doesn't seem that worried about conflict with the other clubs he owns. He owns Nice, he owns Lausanne, so they don't seem to be that worried about it. And that's why on each side, like you say, there's question marks everywhere you go through it. Uh, I mean, my reason why I start actually, I personally do start going towards saying I prefer the Qatari bid. And the reasons for me are, one, I want to see the Glazers gone completely, and they seem to be the ones who are offering that. I also have not seen much chat from the kind of Ineos side about stadium and facilities, which is like massively important to me, that we should have a lot being invested into the stadium side. I actually don't want a new stadium. I would prefer a kind of refurbishment of Old Trafford because I would like to retain the history and everything there. We're seeing that happening at the Bernabeu, the new camper, keeping where they are, refurbishing them. That's what I want to see. And you kind of think, the Qatar side are saying, look, we've got the money to do all this. Um, you know, you talk, you kind of joked about Mbappe, Messi, whatever. I actually don't want to see that at all. That would be a big issue for me, the kind of financial doping. I don't want to be Manchester City. I don't want to be Abramovich's Chelsea, where they're just throwing money at it. And we have spent ridiculous amounts in the transfer market anyway over the past decade. I don't actually see that we need to spend any more money than we already have done. You know, I see some fans saying, oh yeah, we need this war chest. We need 100 millions here, 100 millions there. I don't actually want to see us spending any more in the transfer market. I just want to see us spend it better. I want to see better kind of football people involved in the club, better decision-making from boardroom level. That's where our issues have been. It's not been a problem of spending on the players. I mean, there has been a problem of spending on infrastructure. Um, But yeah, I'm in kind of two minds about it myself. I kind Mm. of slightly go towards the Sheikh Jassim bid for that reasons. But there is a lot of unknowns there. Like you say, who exactly is he? They don't have any kind of track record of owning sports clubs, whereas at least Sir Jim Ratcliffe does have some track record, even if it's a bit dubious and maybe Nice haven't been pulling up trees or anything in France. Whereas, you know, when he took over, he talked about challenging PSG and going to the Champions League and they're nowhere near that. Um, But yeah, I think we can say there's no great options, but I think we can all agree on the one thing is that we're ready for a change from the Glazers. been too long of too many failures you know it's a good decade now 
since Alex Ferguson left. And all right, it hasn't been a complete failure. There's been some trophies along the way, but it's obviously there's been a lot of bad things in the boardroom specifically where it needs a big kind of change. Oh, yeah, they've been awful. They're awful taking money out of the club. Um, so do you, you think you think Sheikh Jassim is different to the Qatari government? I'm not sure of it, but right. looking at it, I see that his the money obviously originally sources from Qatar because his dad was the prime minister of Qatar. He was in charge of the Qatar Sovereign Wealth Fund and made a huge amount of money for them. You know, he's known as the man who bought London. They own like half the hotels in London. In fact, mm. they showed, I don't know if you saw one of the tabloids today was linking this to saying that maybe this is a reason that Qatar are in favour because Avram Glazer was staying in Claridge's Hotel, which is owned by Sheikh Jassim's family. Hmm. So they're now linking this to saying, oh, he's staying in the hotel owned by them. Maybe this is a sign that he's talking to them. Of course, it could be a complete coincidence as well. Hmm. Um, he also did deals in Barclays Bank, Sainsbury's. They own the Shard. These are things he did on behalf of Qatari State. But it's been a good 10 years since he actually left any kind of government position set up his own sort, his own family wealth fund. And they've invested in everything from real estate to oil and made a hell of a lot of money from what I understand. I mean, you look at the kind of history of Sheikh Jassim's father in particular, and he's bought like paid out money for like the Picassos. He's mm. paid the most money for any. So they obviously as a family have a shitload of money. So, you know, there was question marks over that saying, if the money isn't coming from the state, where is it coming from? And mm. I think it is quite possible that as a family, they can afford this themselves. I still don't know. I still think that at some point, the Emir of Qatar has probably had to tick this off. I don't think it's the kind of place where you can do anything like that without getting some kind of agreement from above. Um, but as I say, we don't know. It's all a bit kind of murky. And that's why things are unclear. Mm. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's definitely, definitely the state of Qatar. Whereas, for example, there's no argument that Abu Dhabi's Sovereign Wealth Fund bought Manchester City. There's also no argument that the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Newcastle uh, sovereign wealth fund Saudi Arabia. <laughs> the <sovereign> wealth, <laughs> they, they wish the sovereign wealth fund of Newcastle. They the, can't even buy tickets to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia. They own Newcastle United. These things are clear. There's no argument. There's nothing being hidden there. Whereas they're officially saying this is not the Qatar state. This is a private family bid. You know, did, we don't know. They change, didn't they change the rules after the Saudi Arabians? So then Qatar technically couldn't own Man United. No, there's actually no rules against a state owning a Premier League football club. There was really? something. I thought they changed that after Saudi Arabia took over Newcastle. What actually happened was Newcastle had to give these kind of promises that the state of Saudi Arabia is not making decisions at our club. To be honest, it's an absolute worthless promise. Kind <laughs> yeah. of like, yeah, yeah, we'll sign this paper. What does it actually mean? It doesn't mm. mean a lot. And in fact, the reason they had to do this was it was actually the state of Qatar that made a big complaint against uh, the Saudi Arabia because they have a massive argument over Premier League streaming rights in that region. Mm. Uh, Qatar owned B in sports who stream Premier League football all around the Middle East and before. Oh, I've seen it for those 3 p.m. kickoffs that I can't go to. Be <laughs> oh, well, like I, say, I spent a fair bit of my time working in that kind of uh, Middle East, North Africa region and yeah, do yeah. end up watching Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. It's like going back to the 90s. Yeah, yeah. They do all that kind of coverage there. But yeah, they own that. And I mean, this is where geopolitics starts coming into football, basically, where, you know, Saudi and Qatar do not get on. And I'm pretty sure mm. this is also one of the reasons they want to start getting into Premier League football. And so, yeah, where state finishes, where a family who is obviously connected to the state finishes, all kind of a bit murky in a grey area. But, yeah, I wouldn't say it is definitely the Qatari state. That was all I say. There's kind of a question mark out there. But, yeah, I think ultimately there is still problems about, like you say, human rights. There's all question marks around there. Nothing is clear. Nothing is definite. Um, but yeah, we'll see where it goes. Ultimately, we as fans don't have any say in it anyway. It's obviously mm. the Glazers are going to take whatever's best for them. This is a problem some people have that they may stay on there on the board and we have to see what capacity. The only thing that worries me is the longer it drags on, the more kind of impact it's going to start having on our summer transfer business. Can people yeah. in the boardroom plan? That is the biggest problem. You just want to get something happen, something changing. So otherwise it's going to start affecting next season. Um, we've got to imagine will... it's not going to happen before June. I'm sorry, did you want to cut there? Yeah, I was going to say we'll take a quick break over there, come back for the last part of the show. But yeah, we will cover this again and again. 
you know, there's so much to chat about on the ownership stuff. We keep waiting for some kind of big news before mm. we really go in depth on it, because otherwise it's just speculation. But yeah, it is interesting always looking mm. into it anyway. Uh, as I say, we will take the break there and come back for the last part of the show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back for part three of the show here. Um, yeah, as I said, look, an interesting debate there. As I say, I flip-flop myself between which is the best option, this kind of pluses, minuses. And I said myself on this show as well that it is sad that a lot of our kind of crown jewels of football clubs are going into foreign, foreign ownership. I mean, I don't want to start sounding like Brexit FC or something, but it is a shame that football does become this geopolitics, whether it's Russia, China, all getting involved, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, you know, now Qatar. There isn't that many British owners left in the Premier League. And of course, Sir Jim Ratliff, even though he's become a Monaco tax exile or whatever, hmm. is still a British owner born in Manchester. So yeah, it would be nice maybe to see that connection um but yeah as i said again we don't have that much say in it and we'll have to see what happens as fans and yeah we will keep reporting it on from there yeah i mean i i was in the yeah west ham um away end and there was a no to qatar banner in there but yeah i haven't seen too many sort of strong fan-led protests either way apart from the general movement to get rid of the glazers um so we'll see if that has any effects, but I just don't think the Glazers care. I mean, as you were saying, in terms of getting our transfer strategy together, bless Ten Hag, man. He's had so much to deal with this year, you know, with Ronaldo and Greenwood and and now this with Sale, that hasn't happened. And then he's trying to plan for next year. I thought it was quite telling that he was making some quotes in his post-match interview with Wolves about how the next owner needs to be ambitious, needs to match the ambition. We need to, uh, you know, start with our transfer plan we need to get um players in and he's saying we've got a strong squad but we need to get we need to get players in who are up for the fight um so he's obviously trying to tell the owners like you have to move this along but i just don't think they care the glazers they've sucked as much as they can out of manchester united the only reason they're getting out is because they feel like it's better for them financially to sell either their majority stake or the whole club entirely depending on which way the numbers go and if there's any sort of like, we're doing this because, okay, fine, we've listened to you. I just don't believe that at all. I think they're parasites and can't wait to get rid of them. Yeah, and I think that is the one thing we can at least all agree on. And yeah, there was this protest before that Aston Villa game and I thought it was good. You know, it did cause some controversy, this kind of full sale only message. Some people started seeing that as, oh, this is a vote for Qatar. I don't really mm. see that. I see full sale only as just being the pretty similar message to Glazers out. And mm. I thought it was a good protest. All the kind of major fan groups got behind it. And I think that is the best way for everybody to kind of stay together as a fan base. I mean, like I said, I don't like to always see like fallouts and arguments within the fan base. It's always a big kind of issue. And we've had that in the past when the Glazers first showed up. Uh, so I think the one thing we can agree on, we want to see the Glazers lose power, even if a couple of them do end up staying on. It does seem pretty clear by now that the likes of Avram and... Um, forget Joel Glazer do want to kind of stay on in some capacity, whereas the other four siblings seem ready to cash in and sell out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, even if the things worst are... haircuts, the worst haircuts in football, those <laughs> lot, have you seen them? The sort I mean, uh... of board on the top ponytail at the back it is, how can you have that much money and have that trim? That's a disgrace. They should be, they should be, it should be government ordered out for that. Oh yeah, that that is a human rights crime That's right a there. Human rights <laughs> crime, right there. That is a disgrace that people have to see that. You know what I mean? So to talk about step over the line. I will say just on that point, I don't want to talk about the ownership exclusively, but I just will say on that point that you made about not wanting to see loads of money spent. I think there seems to be this this argument, and mainly from people online. Obviously, there's a huge sway. The vast majority of Man United fans will not go to Old Trafford and they'll watch most of the games on TV or nowadays they'll just see highlights and clips on Twitter and stuff, which is within the right. You're allowed to support the team however you like. But this idea that you have a magic checkbook and that makes you successful 
and gives you everything you want. It's not necessarily true. It says he took a long time to get it right. They're spending a lot of money on rubbish players and they've got everything in place to make them successful. They've got the best coach arguably the world has ever seen. Hmm. I mean, you can talk about manager in terms of Fergie, but in terms of a coach, in terms of building a team to play this conquering style of football, they've, they're they selling players now. It's not even about spending money. They're selling players for profit. They're selling players like Ferran Torres, who played for what, one and a half years, even that, for 55 million euros. That's nothing to do with having a magic checkbook. And then you see on the other side of things with PSG being owned by Qatar, of course, they've won League on countless times in, in, you know, in the last 12 years or however long, 10, 12 years, however long they've been owned by, owned by Qatar. Have they really looked like a team capable of winning the Champions League? Not really. They got to the final once in COVID time when it was a weird year. You know, they... they it's not necessarily whoever can just spend 500, 600 million a year. They will definitely, you'll definitely get all your dreams achieved. No, it's not. And of course, if you spend generally more money, you're generally likely to be more successful. I'm not going to say you're not. But then look at the teams that have captured the emotions of their fans this year. Arsenal, for however much they've bottled it, as is per their, their right as Arsenal Football Club, playing quality football, top quality football. And not that's not been through spending 400, 500 million quid on superstars. That's through bleeding through young players. They might experience this season, go on and win more things. I mean, they won't because it's Arsenal, but they might. Um, and then and then you've got Brighton as well, very well-run yeah. club, who are upsetting these elites because they're just playing quality players that they've picked up at great value and they're building a team. They've got an ethos. We need owners who encourage this. doesn't matter if you're owned by Qatar who have three billion quid every year to give you if people as you say aren't football people making decisions and they're not put in charge to create a winning team an ethos a style of play a way to get players out of the door i think it's something like we've only made a profit on three players in the last 10 years or something like that in terms of in terms of selling yeah, players. absolutely it's been awful yeah and that sort of stuff needs to change so whoever it is ratcliffe uh, qataris you know my thoughts hopefully it's not the qataris but but whoever it is, that, that stuff is kills you as a fan to see your club being run so poorly when you've got so much quality support from across the world. So I really do hope that changes. Yeah, I agree with you. That has been our biggest problem, the boardroom. And I know we've seen the back of Ed Woodward, but yeah, how he stayed in the job that long, kind of failing year after year was crazy. Uh, and yeah, that is the other thing that now we have Ten Hag. I think most of our fans are all agreed that he is the man to take us forward. There was actually a vote on Red Cafe in the last couple of weeks when people have started getting worried about mm -hmm. top four saying, if Ten Hag doesn't make top four, should he be fired? And thankfully, I think there was only about 10% of our fans who thought he should be fired. So that kind of gave me a bit more confidence in our fans over there um, that they know what they're talking about. So, yeah, I think we're all pretty much united that he is the man to take us forward, but he just needs the right backing. He needs the right board behind him. And, yeah, that is the one to take us forward. Um, look, we're looking forward at the games coming up now, as you say. Bournemouth is the next one. It is an away game, oh, which is not great for don't us. Don't tell me that, Nick. Don't tell me. Can't we just play them all at Old Trafford? Old Trafford and Wembley. Play our away games at Wembley, home games at Old Trafford. Jobs are good. In. And then, of course, yeah, we have two home games, Chelsea, Fulham, before our FA Cup final against Manchester City. Oh. They look more or less in with the league. We still obviously have hope for Real Madrid stopping them in the Champions League. Otherwise, it is going to be down to us to stop that treble. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it looks like they are going to roll on for three Premier Leagues in a row, which, you know, these were the two records that we'd hold on to. It was the only silver lining of when Liverpool won that one league was that we kept hold of our three Premier Leagues in a row. You know, Alex Ferguson was the only manager who'd done three in a row. He was the only manager who'd done the treble. Guardiola is pushing for this again. Uh, the odds are against us for that FA Cup final. Actually higher, more in City's favour than even it was for Chelsea in this Women's Cup final. Chelsea were the favourites for that around evens. I saw City are odds on for the Men's Cup final versus us. I'm Like I said, with Varane coming back, Gar Garnacho coming back, hopefully Rashford can have a bit of a rest and just be on full fitness. I will feel a lot more confident. It's a shame we're missing somebody like Martinez because I think if our first 11 was out, we would have every chance in that game. It's just a bit of our squad doesn't have the strength to step up when we're missing a couple of players. But yeah, if we can get a couple of these back there, we can. Uh, I know who you're talking about there, Nick. Van der Beek, huge miss. <laughs> oh, huge yeah. miss. If he was there, City wouldn't have had a kick. 
Um, but yeah, like I say, the main one will be Martinez. Hopefully, if we get Varane back in there, hopefully Rashford is going. We may still obviously lose some players in these last couple of games oh, in the meantime. Yes. Let's see what happens. Uh, there had been as well another vote on Red Cafe lately. And it was, if you had to choose right now, you can only take one. And I'm putting this to you, Ali. Will you pick top four or winning that FA Cup? So taking into account that we may be having to stop Manchester City's treble, but also taking into account that, you know, if you drop out from top four, it's probably going to be Liverpool who are jumping in front of us. So, yeah, difficult, difficult decision to make. And hop- but, yeah, if you had to pick one, which way are you going? It's, um, I want to ask some context here, Nick. Go on. Do, uh, are City definitely in the Champions League final at this point? I think, yeah, we're assuming okay. that City are going through in the Champions League. So they're playing probably into Milan. Uh, got have a 48-year-old Dzeko to try and stop them. Um, I would have to say win the FA Cup and drop out of top four. And I, 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 I've been having this chat with my mates, right? Because th- this is the question I'll ask you before I start talking. Uh-huh. In the periods 2015 to 2020, in that five-year period, who would you rather have been a supporter of? Manchester United or Tottenham? Still Manchester United. Because? Because we won a few trophies. Because you won a few trophies. This is the thing, right? I think there's been so much because of the cash flow of the Champions League and because there's so much, you know, competition in the table. The idea of a top four trophy, of top four being this mark of success, I think has been inflated too much. Mm-hmm. You can be in the Europa League. You can be out of the Europa League. Chelsea next year, they've got a huge squad. They're just pointing Pochettino. There's no reason why they couldn't finish in the top three next year, right? And pick mm-hmm. it on from there. If we go from sixth to fifth over one year, having won, won the FA Cup and the FL Cup, before you take away City it being in the final, that's a sign of progress, right? We would have probably accumulated enough points that would normally get a top four space. So it would, have, it would have been a strange season to have happened. It obviously brutal. Liverpool would hold it over us for ages. But if we are finishing the, the league with two cups and they're finishing the league holding over us that they've finished fourth, you know, those are the years you remember more. You remember those years that you won. If we, if City win the league and beat Inter Milan 25-0 in the final, and we scumbag a 1-0 win from, you know, a, a player who was offside, who should have been sent off earlier and, uh, and was supposed to be injured and all that. And we stop them from winning the treble. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> it's got to be, you've got to live for these moments, right? That's what football's about. It's about winning at the end of the day. And look, we'll come fifth. We'll tr- push again for next year. It's a shame because obviously Champions League helps, helps you get better players and all that. But I would personally rather stop City winning the treble because that's what history is. You don't. You think back. Think of the years we finished second or third under Oli. Whatever you know, year we finished fourth under Van Gaal. Year we finished second under Mourinho. Whatever you know what I mean. But you remember those moments, those games where we beat teams in the final under the biggest pressure at the biggest stadiums. And that is what football is about at the end of the day. So it would be really sad to lose out on Champions League, especially to Liverpool. And I get the whole thing of if we get Champions League, then we're progressing. But but you can't, there's no hope in that. How many times, Nick, have we sat here under a new manager and gone, right, we've got top four now, that's us, we'll kick on, title challenge next year. It doesn't happen. You can't guarantee, you can't, if you were to tell me we'll get top four this next this year, which means we definitely win the league next year, Fine, I would take that potentially, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. So reluctantly, I would let Liverpool get fourth just so we can stop City winning the treble. Be there, remember that moment, have that highlight in our heads for forevermore and then crack on again next year and have another go. Fair enough. And yeah, I do totally get your logic. I mean, I'm going the other way at the, at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, uh, redcafe.net. We're giving a balanced view. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the moment, redcafe.net have voted 62% have gone for top four, 38% going for that FA Cup win. And yeah, I totally understand it. And I've had to think about it long and hard myself. At the end, first of all, I hate Liverpool much more than I hate Manchester City. I have, unfortunately, more... I would call them friends, let's call them acquaintances who support Liverpool than I do Manchester City, so I'll never hear the end of it. Mm. I do also feel that if we went on to be picked 
for this top four, it means we're going to have an awful end to the season. It means we're going to lose probably a couple of these last three matches. Um, and I think that would be more of a downer than losing that FA Cup because we're kind of almost, we're the underdogs and we're almost like expected to lose it. Um, it will be an absolute killer to lose that history to lose that record we've kept hold of as i say the three in a row one is more or less gone already and it will be a killer i do also think that if we go and say that ten hag's first season is uh, part of the reasoning for me is that we have already won that league cup if we hadn't won that i'd probably maybe go a bit more towards that fa cup win to get that trophy because we've already won one. I think if we say we want a trophy and get top four, we can say it's a really good season for Ten Hag in his first season. And as you said yourself, you're then in the Champions League, you're then building on it. It's just that hope for going forward. Whereas, you know, the immense disappointment, as I said, I think if we're missing out, it basically means we're going to be losing a couple of these next games. And for me, will be more of a disappointment than losing that cup final, even though I will be there at Wembley for that cup final as well. And I do remember even my biggest disappointment at Wembley for a long time was losing to Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final, uh, whatever, 2011. Even though, yeah, I remember losing to Chelsea in the FA Cup final, but I still remember that loss to City in the semi-final more than losing the Cup final to Chelsea that few years later. Um, as I say, I had to think long and hard on it. In the end, I'm probably still going to go for that top four place. Um, but look, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. Hopefully, we are going to get top four and we can still do City. We'll you know, get them it's... both, Nick. Don't worry about <laughs> Exactly. It. We're going for, but as I said... We've got the positive I, guys on this week. Look, we, I, we am, I am always the glass full one on this yeah. podcast. I was always uh, predicting like the best. Thanks. As I say, we haven't got any of the more negative ones on today. So, yeah, look, as far as I'm concerned, it's an interesting debate, but we are going to get top four. Yeah. And we are also going to do City in that cup final. We can do it. We've already beaten them this season. You know, in a one-off game, anything can happen. And they've still got kind of, yeah, Champions League to be focusing on. They've still got to finish off that league season. So, yeah, I, and Eric Ten Hag, he does have that knack of pulling it out. When he's had to do it, he's pulled out the wins we needed. And I think he will do it again. Uh, so, yeah, we've had that depressing debate about the owners. No great option. The depressing debate about top four or FA Cup. But look, well, we well, can look, do yeah, both. Yeah. Let's, but let's, let's be real here, right? If the Glazers leave, we, it is a better picture for next year the Glazers leave if we get top four it's a better picture for next year if we beat City in the FA Cup final it's even better so if we get top four and get rid of the Glazers as it looks like it's going to happen it's a very exciting time to be a Man United fan I think that is the perfect place to finish this podcast. And I absolutely agree with you. Uh, yeah, it was great to have you back, Ali. Yeah, do check out Ali it's at, at Aliwood Gigs. Um, and I know, yeah, you've just done a gig tonight at the Comedy Store, right? Yeah, yeah, I was at the Comedy Store with uh, Russell Kane and Joel Domit doing a charity gig for a charity called Rethink. They do uh, mental health um, work with people on the verge of suicide. So it's a really good uh, charity. So check them out, Rethink. And yeah, you can follow me anywhere, Ali Woods Gigs. I do sketches regularly on Instagram and TikTok. And you can check out my website, aliwoodsgigs.com to uh, find out where I'm gigging next. Uh, so thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate uh, you having me on. And hopefully next time I'm on, we're not talking about how we came fifth and lost 5-0 in the final. Well, listen, Ali, like I said, you've got two caps now. We will definitely get you back yeah. for your third cap, uh, either around the end of the season or when the season's over for the yeah. Kelly season debrief, for sure. Let's come back and see where we are. And uh, as I say, on this podcast, we say we are getting top four. We are also going to win that top FA Cup. We don't need to choose. Final minute header. Wait, 121st minute to win 1-0. That's what we're getting at City, at the FA Cup final, baby. All right. You heard it here first. Get your money on it now. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Good night from us. We will see you back on the next one. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore Hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Podcast Network.